At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Tri Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, John Casillo, and with me is Dan Lyons. Hello. We're uh, waiting on Sean here, but uh, I think we can at least, you know, bandy about for for at least a few minutes. Um, it seems that the site was uh, very, very active today with a Everyone kind of getting in the football spirit. I know we had um, some bowl projections. It seemed like a lot of the Internet was tossing our way. Um, so CBS Sports decided that we weren't making a bowl, which I found very odd. Yeah, I, I, I don't see where a projection, which which should be like a kind of a baseline like average of what the team should be able to do, not like a low low bar or a high bar really. I don't see where that would leave us out anywhere. And it, it's all more interesting because it's Jerry Palm and he uses a lot of, uh, you know, statistics and everything, which I'm usually high on. Um, it just confuses me with a team that has a lot coming back that made a bowl last year. Um, aside from the schedule being hard, it's not like – it's not – schedule that is impossible to win six games by any means. Like, the wins are out there. So, I don't know. It just seems like one of those things where they just, I mean, to get a five and seven, you Syracuse would really have to lose, like, almost every game where it's possible they lose, which is doesn't seem likely. Yeah, I mean, that's just what I didn't get. It just seemed like he, uh, he was giving a ton of credit to, to NC State and BC there. Um, and absolutely none to us. And, I, I mean, we're, we're used to playing the no-respect game, I think, in football and basketball, but um, puzzling, again, to say the least. And I, I've seen some very lazy critiques of Syracuse, and not really critiques, more of this lazy writing off of Syracuse football uh, this off season already, and, and I'm just – I'm already bracing myself for what's going to happen during this season. None was worse than the one – Someone posted an article in the comments of one of the posts, as there were so many comments on all these posts today. Um, some guy wrote something where we were going to go three and nine, and it seemed like he didn't explicitly say it, but it sure seemed like he didn't realize we were in the ACC last year. Like he was, he he, he didn't just go right out and say this is Syracuse's first year in the ACC, but he said everything but that, and he was like, yeah, they're gonna have a really hard time adjusting to this conference. I'm like, we kind of already adjusted to it. We we we've had our a run so far. Um, so that's just really bad. Like, if you didn't know Syracuse was in the ACC last year, you probably shouldn't write about sports. <laughs> you, you should probably take another, you know, line of work or even hobby. Yeah, I, I was I was puzzled by that one because it was a legitimate, a legitimate outlet, um, and, and for you know something like Welcome that. The Orlando Sentinel. <laughs> the Sentinel came around on us this year, I think. Yeah, they were they put but they put us in like the sixties or the fifties, like something not too egregious, which you know, which is about everyone everyone put us. I can deal with that. I, I, I can deal I, with I being an average college football team. I mean I think 
and without getting into wins and losses, I, I, I would think we're at top 50, 50 to 55 teams this year, which is, which is good. I think it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, you know, place to, to grow from. Yeah, that's, we can work with that. Like, that's, you know, not too low, not too high. We can upset some teams in the 30s. You know, a team that, that's, you know, the 70th best team should always give us a stare. But I think if people have us there, there's not too much to take umbrage with, I don't think. No, I definitely wouldn't get People better. still will because we really enjoy being upset about things as a fan base. Um, Boy, do we but, do. <laughs> yeah, but it's not necessarily – it wouldn't necessarily be legitimate – anger if someone said we're the 50th best team. It's like, what are you going to put? Oh, no, we're 48? That's, that's okay. We'll, we'll settle. Until we you yeah, know, I mean, start I noise. I believe in 2012 we were, at least according to the F-plus ratings, I think we were somewhere in like 36 to 38 range. Yeah, like by the end of the year we were playing really good football that year. And I mean, we've brought it up recently, but, like, that team, if you go back and look between the completely getting jobs on the Tian Lin call against Northwestern, which still makes me mad two years later, um, and giving away Rutgers in Cincinnati, like, that team was really close to winning, like, nine or ten games. Legitimately. Right. Not like not, – and I'm not even counting Minnesota, where we didn't lose by that much, but we just played, like, awful. Not counting that game, <laughs> those three other uh, – games that we legitimately could have won. If we take one of them, it's a nine-win team. We could have very easily taken two or three, or all three of them even. And then, you know, we're probably not playing West Virginia in a bowl. We're playing, you know, we would have made the BCS. Um, and then it's a whole different ball game. We're playing Florida. So maybe we don't win that, and it goes back down to, to nine or ten. But still, that, that puts us in a whole different – I think the conversation about Syracuse is different. And I know we talked about this a little bit in the comments as well. I think that's the type of season that we really need for us to take the next step where – People are, are talking about us like they're talking about Louisville, where even though there's major questions, it's still an intriguing team and not a, a you know mediocre, boring team. Right, and I think I think Bill Connolly kind of hit it on the head when he previewed us, and he he made sure to to mention that we weren't going to be a boring team this year, um, that we had a chance for excitement, we had a chance to be inconsistent again, but. At the same time, you know, our games would be immensely watchable. And I think, you know, that's where we're really um, – where, where things are really going to rest on it is can that excitement be positive excitement? Can that excitement um, yield positive results um, in terms of wins and losses? Uh, I think the consistency thing is a huge issue. I mean, you can't lose games the way we did last year um, and expect to win any more than six, maybe seven games. Um, I mean, the fact that we can cite, admittedly, if, if we if we were looking at the resume of a team um, that, you know, not Syracuse and, and saw the Northwestern loss, the Clemson loss, Florida State, um, and the Georgia Tech losses, uh, I, I think we'd be openly campaigning for that team to miss the postseason, uh, despite a 6-6 six and six record. So, so to me, I, I do think that consistency is huge. Um, I think how we perform in the Maryland game and the Notre Dame game are going to be enormous uh, toward, you know, the rest of our season um, and, and where we end up and when, where this program is kind of visualized uh, at the end of 2014. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very played out at this point, but that Maryland name really can't be overstated. That is that is the swingiest swing game on the schedule. Um, it, like, if you were to lay out every game, like, that one's probably in the dead center in terms of, of poss- probable win or probable loss. Uh, Florida State's not even on the on that graph. Uh, they're somewhere else. But um, if Mar- if we beat Maryland and presumably go three and zero, then I think we look really good for a bowl for sure. If we lose to Maryland and it's ugly, then and that should happen. Maryland's going to be healthy this year. They should be better than last year. Although I think Syracuse will as well. Then things get a little sketchy. Although I'm very confident that Syracuse will be a bowl team again this year, so I won't be. Even if we were to lose to Maryland, I still think we should have the talent to do that. Yeah, I, I, I'm on board with most of the fan base. I don't think we should lose the Maryland game. Um, I think everyone else believes we will, uh, which actually could be to our advantage. I, I just think that you know, you know, th- that game right there is the swing. But at the same time, I don't think. Outside of a blowout loss, I don't think that that, that a loss in that game or, or any other result um, is going to set us up for you know immense failure or immense success. Um, if we lose a three-point game, uh, you know you regroup, you come out the next week, and you play hard against Notre Dame. Um, I I know we've kind of gone back and forth with the schedule. I feel like we were much more comfortable with it last year when it first came out. Uh, versus now, I think in the last few months, I think everybody's critiques of the schedule are starting to get in our heads, and and, and that's at least a little disconcerting. And, and I'm starting to wonder if it's if it's more realistic, uh, you know, realistic criticism, or if it's more just us starting to let the outside voices kind of get in. I think it's a little, it's it's fairly legitimate, but I also think the off season is just way too long. <laughs> I think. The schedule is such an easy, tangible thing to look at that we just gravitate back to it as a talking point, and we've been waiting for football for months now. Um, I mean, even basketball season ended for us in mid-March, and, and lacrosse was, was fun for a bit, but it's just been a really long Syracuse off season, and the schedule is, is very intriguing this year and difficult, and it's just very easy to talk about it a lot, so... I don't know if we're making a little bit too much out of it. Um, it's, but it's. I don't know. I'm just ready to get going on it. I, I want to see us go out and and beat North, uh, not Northwestern. Uh, thank God, Villanova by <laughs> like 30 points. Uh, Matt, we we would play Northwestern again. Like we don't need another three BCS bowl out of conference schedule like we had in, tw- in 2012. Um, although this would probably be the easiest Northwestern game we w- would have had, but. Um, no, the Villanova game. I was very excited for Friday, hopping on my, my computer to watch an ESPN3, and I just really want to see a, a really strong performance like we saw in the um, the FCS game last year. Uh, it's actually slipping my mind to be play- oh, Wagner and uh, and even the Tulane game last year, which people, I think, overlooked a bit because Tulane ended up being a pretty decent pro- uh, program, and we smashed them, so... Something like that to start the season would be very nice and novel because we usually don't have that game first. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I, I think that that's it's something we've all identified as kind of something that's been lacking in, in the last decade of Syracuse schedules is, is that easy that easy win to kind of ease ourselves in. Um, and, again, I don't think any win is easy for this program for some reason. But, you know, there, there's all the different sides of the fan base. 
fan base wants to play harder games, but gets pissed off when we lose, so they don't show up. Uh, they want to play easier games, but then don't show up because they think it's a guaranteed win. Um, I know other fan bases deal with this too. I just obviously because I'm close to the Syracuse um, fan base and, and program most of all, I, I obviously get hypersensitive to those elements. But, but I don't think that, that this is a phenomenon that, that only um, you know affects our program. But at the same time, I also don't think that's an excuse for it. Um, now I've said this over and over again. I know you had to, Dan. People need to show up to games. That's that's how this program continues to, to get recruits, success, it's winning. And we've, we've done more of that in recent years, but we really need everybody in the seats. Um, but enough on the schedule, I guess. And, you know, now we can just more get into the players themselves, uh, which is kind of the point. This podcast is really breaking down, you know, everyone's kind of, you know, seeing seen the easy, um, easy targets in the schedule and you know, seeing Florida State and Clemson on there and seeing that stretch um, in late September, early October. But from this personnel, I guess, who who are we keying in on? Who really, who needs to impress and who is going to impress uh, this fall? Um, just for a second, just as you brought it up uh, as a quick tangent, um, on the attendance, which I'm so tired of, of harping on in general, but I will say um, – as a as a positive sign, I wasn't able to go up for FanFest or whatever it's called, but I saw videos, and I don't think we brought it up on the podcast, but I went to a lot of practices and fan events and spring uh, football uh, events, and I don't think I've ever seen a fan event like that packed to the gills in terms of, like, they filled the SU soccer stadium and had people standing outside of the bleachers. There must have been, like, almost... 1,800 people there. And I know that's not a ton when you look at, you know, an SEC program pulling in 30,000 for a practice. But for Syracuse, like, that's pretty huge because we, we we get, what, maybe 3,000 for 4,000 for a, full, a legit spring game in the Dome. And this is just a, a scrimmage that they didn't seem to, to pipe up more than normal. And all of a sudden, like, all these people were there. So hopefully that's, like, a good sign that there's actually some positivity out in the in the air in Syracuse. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, I don't expect the Villanova game to be nearly sold out or anything. Hopefully we get, like, a good 38,000, 40,000 there, and, and they win and keep on building up through Maryland and Notre Dame. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I'm the, I just wanted to get that out there because I felt good about attendance for once. Um, but on yeah, the roster, should. I'm really excited about the wide receiving core. Uh, I know yesterday um, one of the Syracuse.com writers, I think it was Chris Carlson, said that, uh, posted that Stephen Ishmael is, like, definitely going to play. It sounds like Custis is going to get time. I'm just excited to get this new blood in this wide receiving core because that was a real huge issue for the team last year. And we, we have all these freshmen and all these sophomores now on campus who are some of the most highly touted recruits we brought in recently. And Ishmael's probably chief among them. All I've ever heard about him is, you know, he's a Miami kid. No one really knew why he wasn't being recruited harder, and we were the beneficiaries of that. So I'm really excited to see what he does. And if he's out there right away, I think that's only a good sign because there are veterans that we could lean on more and, and say, hey, we don't want to throw the freshman out there. So I think the fact that he's put himself in the mix is means that he's legit and he's going to produce this year. Um, and then I, I, I also think that Broyles should only get better, Steam should only get better, 
Um, Jared West can't have a worse year than he had last year. He just looked lost, and, you know, he's a good player. We've seen it, so I'm sure he'll bounce back. So I'm very excited for the receivers, and, that'll, and, and the running backs we know are great. So if we have both sides of the offense, are, uh, the offense clicking, it could be a very fun year. Yeah, I mean, to me, um, you know, everyone's really harped on, okay, like what's going on with, with the offense, what's going on with the wide receivers. It seems like they have playmakers, but, you know, how, how are these receivers going to be able to help this team out? Because I think that's really uh, our biggest, biggest concern, and that's that was our biggest Achilles heel last year was that, um, you know, even when Hunt was getting a ton of protection, and a lot of times he was, there was nobody open. Um, obviously losing uh, Josh Paris doesn't, help things, but according to reports, Schaefer seems to think he'll be back in two to four weeks. Um, not the best news, but not the worst news by any means either. Um, I do think that, and I said this on the blog the other day, um, I think that the tight end position, we really, really need to get that more involved. Um, obviously, Hunt's a bit more experienced now, but you know, we can't have our only safety valve being these uh, these bubble screens a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage, because uh, that doesn't really, you know, the offense became very predictable. It was it started to find a groove toward the end of the year, but at the same time, like you saw it stall out for extended periods um, in several games, even at the end of the year, the Minnesota game in particular. Um, these things still happen. I just think we need to start getting more people involved. And Custis uh, playing tight end, I think the, as much as I did, I'm unhappy that Paris got hurt, um, I think one of the best things that could have happened for uh, Custis and his career is, is being able to potentially jump in right away at that tight end spot um, and I'm excited to see that. I noticed uh, now that Broyles has seemingly been switched back to H-back. Uh, I'm curious, you know, what that means for play calling, um, what that means for how much we see him and uh, being on the field at the same time. But, you know, if they are going to put them both out there, I mean, that, that is a ton of speed. It's not a, a, an immense amount of size, uh, but we'll see. I, I, think that, I think that those two really hold the key to how this offense goes, but, but more importantly than them even, uh, not exactly the key, uh, more importantly than them is really McDonald's play calling. Um, I know we simplified the playbook, but I know we've, we're looking to up the pace. I think the play, how the plays are called and, and our willingness to, to take some shots downfield are really going to determine whether or not this group can really get going. Because if we're going to rely on bubble screens as much as we did last year, I'm not I'm not as faithful that we'll be able to, to, to get out of our own way enough to really take that big leap forward. Um, I don't know. I, I think there should be a pretty big jump from year one to year two as a play caller. I mean, McDonald just has so much film to go back on, and, and we know from all the reports that we've read about him, he's just an intense film guy. And he has 12 or 13 games to go back and find out what works and we saw him figuring that out at the end of last year. So I, I have some faith that he, um, as a you know a young, ambitious coach, will, will really look to uh, fix what ailed the offense in the middle of last season. Um, as for the, the tight end thing, uh, I agree it would be nice to have Paris. I think Paris had a, a quietly a really nice year last year. Um, but hopefully – it really is like four weeks at most because I think the first game where we would really we, we really need him is probably that Notre Dame game. They have a, a big athletic front um, front seven. So having him in the run game, uh, depending on how much 
we use a, a, a natural tight end and how much we use just the Y position, um, you know, is yet to be seen. But having him as an extra blocker, which is really his best attribute, would be big against that big Notre Dame team. So hopefully he gets back for them because that, that seems to be right around the, the timetable that he, that was set out today. Um, but if not, I think, um, you know, we also hope Anoisi gets back too. But uh, Custis is a big dude, and I'm excited to see him catching passes because he's, he's going to be a nightmare for, for a slot corner. But how many slot corners are even six feet tall, and he's six six? Right. I mean, and, you know, like my initial talent wasn't anything to – to hate on uh, McDonald either. I, I do think that, you know, that I think he made. That. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, I mean, he definitely read my articles last year. We know, <laughs> but I think I think he took some huge strides last year. I, I think my only critique of the bubble screens is just that it, it, it did show it did show that we had more work to do, and that's not a bad thing either. Uh, we had a young team last year. I just I want to see if we if we really utilize the the playmaking ability of Esteem and uh, and Broiled. I think both really have game changing uh, opportunities. I think maybe utilize them on the same side of the field. I'm curious to see how both of them improves blockers. I know that uh, Morris has seemingly um, become a much better blocker um, in the running back spot, which uh, which should really you know do us some favors. Um, I, I think the running back situation, and, and nobody's really talking about it a ton other than saying, oh, well, Jerome Smith's gone and forgetting, uh, you know, just how much talent we have at that position as well. Uh, I, I think there's, there's less uncertainty because we, I guess we kind of know what we're getting from everybody there. I mean, Tyson Gully's been around forever. Um, and then obviously Ms. Farlane and, and Morris really provide us uh, with some nice changes of pace. The fact that Morris is a better blocker, like I said, is it, it, a huge, huge plus. I think that allows him to be to be out there much more on two back sets. Um, and and you know, the, the insertion of Amin Moore back into the into the fold, and I'm really glad that we're bringing back the tank package. I think we did struggle sometimes on some short yardage last year. Like we shouldn't have had to um, necessarily rely on Jerome Smith um, at all times when he's not a short yardage back. He's a back that, that can that can run with some power. Um, so I, I think the running backs are actually better off now than they even were last year, um, even without Smith. I, I think that, that this group is, is going to resemble the 2012, um, you know, running back group quite a bit, except with even more depth. Yeah, I think one of the very inter- most interesting stories, honestly, of the offseason is the fact that Adonis Mean Moore is still here and a vital part of the offense, which – I think pretty much everyone had counted him out uh, through spring, and all of a sudden he's the number two back. Um, and I'm happy about it. I know that he really doesn't fit, like, the ideal McDonald offense from what we know. But if he's going to be on campus, he might as well use him. He's a huge 230, 240-pound bruising back. He's done the job before. He was very effective at the end of 2012, especially in that Temple game where he was just running people over. Um, so I don't expect him to get – even more carries than Morris, honestly, but just put him situationally in situationally and, and see what he can do because he, he was you know, I loved him in 2012 when he finally got in in there and he's he's been a trooper like he could have easily transferred a couple times considering the hype that he had coming in he was one of our big recruits um, back in that class coming all the way from Colorado 
So I think he deserves a lot of credit just for sticking it out here. Um, and I hope to see him with a, a pretty big role, even if he's not the feature back by any means, or even if he's not the second feature back, considering Morris just looks great. Um, it should be good to see him out there, and, and he does bring something completely different from what the other three guys have. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's really the key there, is a difference maker, the fact that he really is something else compared to everyone else. You know, that change of pace is great, whether it's it's going from a bunch of power backs to, to a, you know, more uh, more quicker, smaller back, or vice versa. I know, you know, you and me, and I know Sean echo these thoughts. Um, when we first heard everything about Amin Moore kind of dropped down the depth chart, falling out of favor, um, it did seem like he was headed back to Colorado, um, and the fact that he stuck around and, and has really worked hard, um, I mean, you got to feel for the kid at times, because I, I know this isn't exactly what he had in mind when he showed up on campus, um, but the fact that he's willing to stick around, the, w- the fact that he's really willing to, um, you know, put in this effort and, and, and make an impact wherever he can is uh, is encouraging for me, anyway, to, to see that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, he was brought in, um, I'm, I, I'm trying to think of the timeline, but I'm pretty sure he was recruited or, or even spent a year with Delon Carter on campus. Probably not. I don't know if they ever actually had the same – were here at the same time, but DeLon Carter was our star on offense when Amin Moore was being recruited, and he seemed to kind of get jumped in that role by uh, Jerome Smith, who had a pretty big breakout game against Pitt um, the year that we missed the the bowl because we lost all those games at the end of the year. Um, so it really kind of he – was, he was definitely someone who fit in the system when Marone was here when we had – uh, a real, you know, we were a, a plotting, you know, power football team. And now we're the super, you know, fast spread team. Even even Nate Hackett, you know, changed things up, and, and that wasn't really the best uh, spot for for Amin Moore, even though they, they gave him a really specific role. So hopefully he gets something like that going again. Um, but, yeah, the, the running backs are just so exciting in general. Um, PTG, I think people are, are almost like we've seen him for so long, we know what he can do, so people are – are kind of sleeping on him a little bit. He didn't have the best year last year, but he was really pretty excellent in 2012. He was just overshadowed a bit by how good Jerome was. Um, but then Morris and McFarland both looked really good last year, I thought. Uh, so I, I just think all four can play. And, and against any, you know, all the de- all these defenses we're playing are different. So I think there, we'll have someone who can find uh, effectiveness against w- whatever we face, except for Florida State. We're not going to run for any yards against them. <laughs> <laughs> I have no yeah, expectations. I, uh, game. I'm setting my expectations yeah, I, at like no yards, no points, and then we're going to score like 14 points. I'm going to be thrilled. There are no expectations whatsoever for the Florida State game. Uh, if we anyone. come out on the field, I'll be happy. I'd buy that. <laughs> we, uh, I think for the most part, it's uh, it's interesting how many people think that uh, that PTG is not even on campus anymore. Um, it's like laziness. It's been around really for so long. Like, how long ago was that stabbing incident? That was like four years ago. I was I was on campus. Yeah, I mean, like I was still there. I think I was going into my senior year, and that was so long ago. And he's just been around. He's been a pretty much a factor ever since he got to campus. Um, he's missed time here and there, but he's just a, he's a productive player when when he's used correctly. And I didn't always think that he was used correctly under Marone. I didn't 
wasn't too thrilled with how he was used last year. So hopefully we get him in the right the right plays and the right uh, series and everything. Because it's tough when you have four running backs. And you want to keep them all happy. Right. I mean, I think that's the I think that's the big thing is that how do you keep all these guys in? I mean, luckily, luckily, I do think that you know if they're willing to catch some passes. Um, I, I do think that, that all these guys can get involved. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of two-back sets. And and if they're all ready to block, and, and, and with Morris's, you know, progression, it does seem that way. Uh, I mean, who, who really knows? I, I think that, you know, we, we talked about this last year, um, and we were kind of breaking down, okay, like who's going to get carries, who's going to be able to, to get – you know, to run the ball, and it seemed like Morris and McFarland were going to get edged out a bit. Um, you know, due to some injuries and in general, just due to, uh, you know, trying to fill out the offense, they were able to to gain some playing time. I think now, I think that's going to pay dividends, but at the same time, it, it is going to be, you know, uh, a waiting game as we see kind of who's going to take the primary uh, amount of carries. I think that by all uh, intents and purposes, it seems that Prince Tyson Gully is being set up as the guy um, to really be the, well, I mean, as close to a feature back as you're going to get in today's game. Um, I hope that's not the case, not because I don't like Prince Tyson Gully, but more because I really think that because of how effective uh, McFarlane and Moore showed themselves in first last year, it would be a shame to have them um, kind of waste away uh, this season. But we'll see. I, I The running game is something I'm just, not worried about it all, and I'm actually excited to see how these younger backs, um, you know, can make an impact. I think it's great that we have these two easier games to start because we'll really be able to see, even if, you know, we, we shred up these two teams on the ground, like you can tell even when you're, being, you're running effectively against a weaker team, like whether or not what you're doing is actually working where it'll work in a, in a tougher game. I think like you can just tell by how the blocking schemes look and how the how the the backs hit the hole and everything. Um, and I think by the end of the year, if I had to make like a really bold prediction on the rushing game, I think by the end of the year, uh, PTG will be more of the pass catching back uh, that he was in 2012. And I think we'll see Morris take over more of the first and second down, you know, carry up, you know, hit the hole off tackle type type carries. I think we're, we're, we're probably going to see a, a shift. Not because PTG's bad, he's a really good player, but I think he's better utilized as the change of pace guy off of, um, I think Morris is probably the most prototypical every down back that we have. And McFarland is probably a, a blend of the two. I don't know quite how he's going to be used down the, uh, the road. He's probably our, he might be our fastest straight line guy, although Morris is also really up there. But um, he seems like a really diverse player too. Yeah, you know, I, I actually I really do buy the, the Morris prediction. Um, it's you know we I know we talked about it when Bill C's, uh preview came out that we're very high in Morris. Nobody else really sees what we see in him, um, but but I, I do think he could be a feature back. I guess my last question on the running backs, and we spent a ton of time on them, but as as we should at Syracuse, in my opinion, um, what do you think about Eric Phillips? I know that. Talk has been that he's going to see the field. I know he's smaller than the other guys. Um, I mean, not Prince Dolly height-wise, anyway, but he's a lot lighter. He's a, he's a he's really quick, lighter back. Is he going to see the field? Because everyone seems 
to say he is. I'm just not sure where he fits in, especially what would already look like a, a pretty crowded backfield. I assume that he's going to see the field on special teams um, because, like you said, not that Irv can't play because I think he can. I don't think the coaches would have even brought him up if he wasn't going to be a factor. There was no reason to do that to him. Um, but I, I, one of my regrets of this past year is that Irv Phillips is from my neck of the woods. He's from New Haven, uh, about 30, 40 minutes north of me. I never saw him play live, but I, I've seen – more or less like almost a full game of him against uh, Greenwich High, which is one of the best programs in Connecticut. They've gone down recently to play Florida teams, and, and they didn't win, but they didn't, look, they didn't get blown out. Like They, they punned. Like, it, it was kind of like when we went and played USC, when US, before we realized USC wasn't that good that year, but when we thought we were hanging in with like the number one team in the country, that's not how Greenwich looked when they went and played like a top ten Florida team. Uh, they lost by like two or three touchdowns, but pretty good. Uh, Irv destroyed them. Irv made them look awful. And he had, like, I think he had, like, 200 total yards on, like, 15 touches or something ridiculous. So the kid can play. And, and I know the Connecticut thing is, is kind of tough for some people to get by, but there are some really good players in Connecticut. It's just a small state. And Irv was one of the one or two best players last year in the state. So I'm not shocked that he's good enough to play right away. I am shocked that he's getting talked about playing right away on a team that has four really established good running backs ahead of him. That being said, it's pretty exciting because, again, I don't think the coaches would even bring him up as a possibility if he wasn't earning it. So I'm excited to see him, um, if only because he's, you know, a Connecticut, uh, a Fairfield County, New Haven County guy, and uh, I enjoy this part of the state getting uh, getting some, some props, especially because UConn can't beat any, anyone else for the in-state players at this point. So. Uh, if we can lock up the best Connecticut players, which we've done a couple of them in the last two classes, I'm all for that. <laughs> I, I, I'm totally on board there. I know um, it seemed like up before drum that that Phillips really did impress. Um, so I guess we'll see. Uh, I wouldn't mind him redshirting, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But again, you know, you never you never know what the season brings or, or injuries or somebody just lights it up in garbage time. You, there's a lot of possibilities here, um, and I am excited for the entire group of running backs, including Phillips, who I think, you know, even if he's, even if he's not a factor, I, I, I do think we're gonna at least see him in bits and pieces, and we're gonna have, we have a very interesting situation on our hands next year um, with him, Morris, and McFarland. Yeah, it's it's gonna be fun, and. I will. I'm. I'm interested to see him returning kicks because I. I, I hope that Brizzly is the guy back there. Um, I think that would be the the best situation. Also, I'm looking at the Syracuse depth chart and Brizzly is listed as a senior, which I know he's old for his age, but he's definitely a sophomore. So Syracuse should probably change yep. that, um, <laughs> unless they found out something about his eligibility recently. In which case, I'm gonna be really bummed out. But um, yeah, we have a lot of those guys that are just really seem like exciting playmakers. Um, and, and Irv is definitely one of them. Yeah, so now on the roster it says Brizzly's a sophomore, so that looks like it's a typo. Um, it's funny because I was, I was just on Twitter, I think it was this morning or last night, and one of the Miami bloggers was talking about one of their own recruit situations and how a kid was going to lose a year of eligibility, and they're like, yeah, but Brizzly's steam was this old when he enrolled and he's a sophomore. And I was like, don't, don't, start, don't start blowing whistles on us, Miami. Leave Brizzly alone. He's a sophomore. <laughs> He's staying here for three more years. I got a little nervous when I saw 
a random vlog, <laughs> not even trying to blow up our spot, but just name, name drop Grizzly Esteem uh, for a reason like that. So uh, I'm excited for all these guys. No, totally. And I think, you know, the more – it's not even a hate on the guys you have on the roster. I think the more, the more speed guys and playmakers you bring in like that, uh, the easier it'll be to, to continue to try to install this uh, sort of read option that, that, that we're going for, this really kind of fast-paced, um, you know, offensive setup. And I think that provides a nice segue at least to um, the offensive line, which I know is your specialty. But um, in general, I, I know we're all kind of high on this group, and... I feel like nobody else is, despite the fact that everybody but Mackey's back. It's kind of weird. Um, I know Amari Palmer will hurt, um, but it's not as if Rob Trudeau is not right behind him on the depth chart. I just think that, you know, this offensive line is going to be the same kind of, you know, rock that it was last year in terms of really keeping everything together for us. I think on paper, in context, I think this should be the best offensive line since, I've been following the team, so in the Marone-Schaefer era. Um, now, out of context, it looks a little weird because you have Rob Trudeau setting on the depth chart, you have John Miller coming out of nowhere at center, and you have Michael Laster uh, first on the depth chart. But, it, I mean, the Foy situation seems to be, you know, he had the academic issues, so that spurned on him getting jumped. The Trudeau thing, Trudeau was like our second or third best lineman last year, so it means that Palmer's really pushing for a spot. Nick Robinson is apparently just really good because he was injured and hasn't played in a while, but um, I think Hickey said that he looked like the best he's ever been recently. Hickey's a, a, a possible first-round pick. Like there are, We have seven guys who can play. Miller's the mystery guy, but, uh, I mean, there's no reason Miller would have locked up that spot if he wasn't one of the five best linemen on the team because we were trying Trudeau at center as well. So... If our, our our depth is getting so good that a Rob Trudeau or an Ivan Foy are getting bumped off the first string line, considering they were both at least serviceable and, and probably better than that last year, I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's really the key here. I mean, no, we don't have a ton of guys who are uh, who are in that you know three forty through fifty range. Uh, I know Jesse Wolf sold. Uh, is around there, but just doesn't have the skill set. I think Denzel Ward is somebody who could potentially uh, move into that type of spot down the road. For the most part, though, we're looking at guys who are in the 300 to 320 range, um, sometimes a little bit less. But they're smart, they're fast, they have great footwork, and, you know, they all know how to play together, which I think is really the big, big part of of a successful offensive line. I mean, anytime you have a successful team, it's usually because there's a lot of continuity um, along that along that front line. Um, center, obviously, is a concern. Uh, John Miller has obviously played himself into the role. That's great. Um, but I want to see him... I, I want to test him out in game minutes. I want to see him against Villanova. Um, and, and let's just see, you know, how he responds to that. I think he'll be fine. But but before I, I pass any judgments, positive or negative, I do want to see, uh, you know, some game minutes from him. Everybody else who's going to see the field... Um, for the most part, has really you know already been on at least in spurts, um, and like you said, the fact that guys like Trudeau um, and Ford are being pushed in the depth chart uh, only says great things about Syracuse. And again, if we're not going to have the size 
um, that, that some other teams have. At least we have uh, depth that allows us to have fresher legs. And it's not like we have, we're tiny. Like, Amari Palmer, I've stood next to him. I, I interviewed him once. Amari Palmer's a big dude. Like, he's a, a real big guy. I ordered, and that was when he was in high school. And I, I actually think he's trimmed down a little bit since then. But, like, Hickey's really solid prototypical left tackle size. Palmer is big. Miller's fairly big. Um, Foy's the biggest guy. Well, Foy and Laster are both, like, 320. Um, it's, it's the Nick Robinsons and the, and the Rob Trudeaus who are – a little leaner, which is actually interesting because they're the guards. Usually, you'd think the tassels would be a little, little trimmer, but they're both. Robinson's just was a rock solid guy last year, and Trudeau just moves people like that. He's a, a bulldozer, so it's interesting how our lines kind of laid out in terms of heights and weights. But I'm not overly worried unless you know. Not every team has a, a um, you know, an Aaron Donald to deal with, and or a, a Timmy Jernigan who was just you know overpowering. So, actually, no teams have those two because they're both in the NFL, luckily for us. So, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very optimistic about the offensive line. I agree Miller is probably the biggest concern, but that's only because we have no idea what to expect from him. But, again, I don't, I don't think he would have come in and won that job right away over essentially Rob Trudeau um, and Jason Emmerich, who's a pretty good prospect, if it wasn't just so clear that he was the guy for that spot. Undoubtedly. I guess we can move on a little bit to the uh, defensive line. You know, we've kind of lingered on the offense a little bit, but do that from time to time. Um, it's funny because we didn't even get to bring up, like, Alvin Cornelius, who was our best receiver down the stretch last year, or Quinta Thunderberg. And not that we need to now, but it's just fun. there's a lot of things to talk about with this offense, and I'm getting progressively more excited as we record this podcast. <laughs> Well, luckily for you, the front seven for this game is is another cause for excitement. Um, it's interesting. I know we've seen, certainly interesting. Yeah, we've had some health problems here and there. Um, it's just been tough to keep some guys in the field at the same time. You know, it seems like outsiders are question are asking all the same questions this year that they asked last year about this front four. And while while Bromley was an incredibly gifted player, I think he was uh, one of the better defensive linemen we've had in the doors at SU in years. Um, I, I think we can I think we can recover. I think that that improvements in the secondary uh, can help mitigate losses um, on the front end there. And I think overall, I think we had we had and continue to have a, a bunch of depth, which is only going to assist us. Um, kind of, you know, moving forward. It's funny because going into last year, I don't think anyone else besides Syracuse fans knew who Jay Bromley was, nor were they excited about him. And now this year, everyone's like, well, what are you guys going to do without Jay Bromley? <laughs> so it's one of those things. Like someone, Bromley, we knew was going to be good. We didn't know he was going to be a 10-sack guy. And we didn't know that we'd be able to argue the better recent uh, Syracuse defensive tackle between Jay Bromley and Art Jones, which – I think I'd still lean art, but it's a legitimate argument. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think we're not going to ten sacks out of an interior lineman. Um, but Eric Kroom, I think, has been a rock-solid guy since he got here. I'm still cautiously excited about Wayne Williams, who, you know, I feel like half the articles that we've read uh, about Syracuse this summer have been about Wayne Williams and his, uh, you know, very 
strong uh, workout regimen and, and shedding a lot of weight this offseason, so good for him. I do think the defensive ends are very exciting. Um, Rod well, uh, Robert Welsh had a, a kind of a breakout year last year. Um, Michael Robinson's just a really solid set-the-edge guy. Uh, I think Ron Thompson's the most talented player we have in that position, um, and he's not even starting, but I think he'll see a lot of time. And then the one guy who has totally gotten lost since he got here, for mostly for injury reasons, but apparently he's ready to break out, according to the coaches, is Donnie Simmons, who, uh, if you guys would remember, was um, played high school ball down in Westchester County. And aside from playing defensive end, also played tight end and returned kicks for touchdowns at, like, 230 pounds. And he's up to, like, 250 now. So that's the one guy who I think could really make these, this, inter, uh, this an interesting line if he and Ron Thompson both pr- uh, provide that pass rushing where we will lose a little bit with Jay Bromley out. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, I think the other, you know, I think you brought up a great point about that no one really knows who Jim Bromley was. Um, I think that the other person people are getting really, uh, you know, kind of heated about is Marquis Sproul and Another guy who nobody really mentioned a ton last year. I mean, people talked about him here and there, but, you know, another guy, everyone's like, oh, what are they going to do without Sproul? They lose him. That's, you know, that's going to be a backbreaker. Like, well. Now he and his ACL are TV stars. Yeah. Last night on Hard Knocks, they showed his ACL surgery, like, and they really showed it. (laughs) We got to see a lot of, we got to see legitimately inside of Marquise last night on HBO. Glad I missed that. <laughs> I feel bad. He was like, you could tell they were setting, I mean, we all knew he was hurt before the episode two weeks ago aired, and you could kind of tell they're like, oh, they're showing Marquise now when he's about to get hurt. And he could have easily been one of like the breakout guys in this show because he's, really, he's a really funny person. I, I had a class with Marquise. I actually like Marquise a lot. Um, but he's a really good personality, and he could have done well on that show. But uh, unfortunately, he got a lot of airtime because uh, of a really unfortunate injury. So... Hopefully he bounces back. I'm sure he'll be put on the IR, which is probably isn't the worst thing in the world for a mid-round pick, honestly. Um, kind of like Alice Lemon got put on the IR for like a kind of a minor injury last year, just so the Texans wouldn't lose him. Um, so excited for him in the future, but um, I'm also excited for Marquez Hodge to see how he steps up and replaces him. I really do like what Hodge brings to the table, and I think between I think I think we'll see him really step up in a starting role, but I also think that. Um, we'll see a ton of Arseniega, and I think between the two of them, I'm not going to say they're going to be able to replace Sproul, but I do think that we'll be able to kind of mix things up on defense um, and really get a varied look in the middle of the field, and I think that can only help the defense group. Um, I've also said in the previews, too, I know the linebacker position in particular, um, I mean, Davis and Lynch are, are, are well-seasoned vets. This isn't, this isn't the worst thing and now they get a little more opportunity to make some plays um, and really kind of take Hodge um, under their wing. And even uh, Arseniega, who, you know, has seen the field but not a ton. Um, so the two of them really get to, to be teachers and really get to, um, you know, make their own impacts, you know, on and off the field. And I think I think it's actually going to serve to benefit them. Um, Davis had an off year because he was injured last year, and, and a lot of people haven't really done their reading to, to find that out. Um, so you know what I, I think that this group is going to be is going to be just as good 
Um, and I think they're really going to play a big part in just how successful this front seven is yet again. Um, some people have characterized the defense as tackle for loss or bust, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I think they're actually going to be better at it, though, than they were last year. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's just Schaefer's idea. And he was definitely um, – Boa was a little less aggressive last year, but with two guys like Davis and Lynch on the edge, I could see them really – especially if our defensive ends don't get the pressure that we hope they do. Um, without a guy like Bromley in the middle, I think if you really need to have Davis and Lynch uh, be the two major pass rush threats, it's not the worst thing in the world because they're very good pass rushers. Um, and I do I, – I am very excited that they're both around this year because – having a guy like Hodge or a guy like Arseniega in the middle um, with two really experienced players bookending them like that I think is only going to be a good thing because then next year when we bring up a Jonathan Thomas or Paris Bennett or P.J. Batten on the uh, on the other side or Zaire Franklin, you know, we're probably going to play into sophomores next year at outside linebacker, talented ones, but guys who, have, who probably won't get much run this year, but they'll have an experienced guy in Hodge in the middle. Um, and Hodge, you know, the one game he started last year, which he started out of nowhere, was the Georgia Tech game. And while that was an outright disaster, Hodge, who couldn't have known what he was doing, somehow found, like, what, 12 tackles in that game? Just yeah. kind of playing football. So, I mean, he clearly has instincts. He sniffs, he sniffs the ball out. Um, I'm excited for him. I, I, I'm probably more excited down the road for some of the freshmen on the, on the linebacking core. Um, Jonathan Thomas, if you haven't like seen the kid or, or watched any videos, is a monster. Um, but I don't know how much he'll play this year. But I think this is just a really good deep group, kind of like the offensive line is, where there's just a lot of guys coming up the ranks, and it seems like we kind of have the actual the program is being built and working. Uh, and it, it took a while, but we're not just you know scrambling for for Derek Hines to play linebacker and then him never showing up on campus anymore. Yeah, I, I I think you really hit on a, a great point there with uh, with Thomas. Um, and I've seen some tape. Uh, if anyone saw that vine of him run like a four five forty, um, the guy's built like an enormous wide receiver, um, and he's going to be a terror for uh, for opposing offenses um, when he likely takes over Dijon Davis's outside linebacker spot. I'm incredibly excited for him, and, and you're right, like we have. We, we've addressed linebacker in a great way, and I think we have a lot of kids who, who are going to learn on the fly this year. Some might see the field, but a lot of them are, are going to learn from the bench. But, the, again, not awful. Like, we've, they're, they're going to be learning from some of the best um, that we've had in recent years in Lynch and Davis. And I, I think it's, it's only going to serve us really well in 2015. Um, so, we selfishly want to see Thomas on the field. Because I think he can make an impact, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised or like broken up if, if he redshirted, if only to get potentially four full years out of the guy. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like we have two awesome outside linebackers now, um, and in past years we'd just be like, all right, we have these guys now, and we'll figure out next year, next year, and now we're at the point where between. The young receivers and the young linebackers, it's like, you know, I, I enjoy watching Dyson Davis and Cameron Lynch play, but I really can't wait for these freshmen to get going because, you know, for the first time we're finally just excited about the depth that we have as a program. Um, and also on a complete aside, just because we were talking about Earl Phillips before, a tweet just came in, a quote from Jerome Smith, 
Um, they sound like they've got a five-headed monster with Irv Phillips stepping into the play. I'm excited to watch them. Uh, that's from Phil Diabrescio, the uh, new Dio sports editor. So apparently Jerome Smith has the, the, the beat that Irv Phillips is in play. And uh, I don't know how five running backs is going to work, but we'll figure it out. If Alabama can have three guys rush for 1,000 yards, I'm sure we can figure out something similar. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I'm all about it. And we'll see what happens. I, like I said, no matter how many guys are back there, I have faith in McDonald's and be able to figure out ways to use them all. Um, and obviously, while I, I do believe in, you know, paying some deference to, to the work the PTG in particular has done for this team, um, I, I hope that they're also willing to cut bait if, if more and or Prince uh, Tyson Gully um, aren't, aren't getting it done and these three kids are. You know, I hope we're I hope we're quick to to make those sort of decisions and plug in the guy who's going to give us the best results. Yeah, I don't think PCG will ever leave the offense as a, like in terms of having a big role, but I agree. Um, I think the best guys will get the snaps, and I think just having him on the team is a nice. You know what you're going to get out of him. You know he'll get four yards of terror. You know he can catch the ball and take it for sixty, um, and then hopefully you know we'll just see how it goes. But then we're also not even talking about. Have we even mentioned Terrell Hunt on this podcast? <laughs> he he uh, ran for no. how many yards? Yeah, he, he uh, four hundred and change. Yeah, he in, in a partial a partial schedule. He actually ran for according to Syracuse uh, Syracuse.com, He rushed for exactly five hundred yards. Actually, and then he lost eleven receiving once. Apparently, how did that happen? I don't remember that. Did a flea flitter that didn't work. Anyway, he ran for five hundred yards last year in, what, eight and a half games? So we're going to rush for a lot of yardage next year. Which is fine with me. Yeah, I'm cool with it. Um, Our best teams have been the really good running teams. Even the Ryan Nassib final team, that team hit its stride when we started pounding the rock. And it's not a little different than that, but I'm cool just ground and pound. Like, that team, that type of offense can still win in college football. Look at at Auburn. Like, they – uh, Malzahn had a great quote a couple days ago. Like they run four plays. Like they they run some other things too, but like their offense is built around four different runs, and that's that's what they do. And they went to the national championship on a prayer, but still. So you can you can win that way. Wisconsin does it. Get get solid quarterback play. Be able to throw the ball when you need to, and if you have talented running backs, you know you're 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 golden. You know it is amazing that we've gotten that it took us. 53 minutes to talk about our starting quarterback. And, and yeah, I, I, you know what that's I'm like, I don't think we've even said his name, like in passing. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it was the only position that really required zero conversation. Yeah, that's pretty like, much right. I mean, and outside linebacker, but they're fun to talk about because they're, they're two of our best players. Um, not that Terrell isn't. And it's funny because it's not like Terrell's like a total non – like we, 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 we saw what he did – good and bad last year, but it wasn't like it's not like we know exactly what he's going to be this year, although we, we all predict pretty good things, because the reports have been good. Right. So, Terrell, if you're listening, we are very big fans, um, and we hope that you don't see this slight. It was really just, we're so sold on your tenure as uh, our starting quarterback that we didn't really feel like it needed to delving into yeah, I'm sure we'll talk plenty of Terrell Hunt during the year, too. I'm excited. I think we'll put up 
pretty crazy numbers. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited with the whole direction of the team. Uh, you, uh, see, I said, you seem tickled by, by this team, Dan. I think part of the thing is we've been spending all summer talking about all the other teams. That now I'm like, oh yeah, we have a team too, and, uh, and they're and pretty it's good. Fun. Yeah, they, they, there's exciting things, and it, it might only mean that we win seven or eight games, um, only. But you know, it might. We're not the best team in the world, but there's just a lot to like at almost every position. Um, and then we get to the defensive backs, and that's where things kind of go downhill. Um, I like our D backs. Play better. They'll be better. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna go too hard on them. I know. I, I was fairly reserved um, on the preview for uh, Syracuse's secondary as well as the ACC secondary and how SU stacked up. Um, this group was not great last year. I know Scott Schaefer specifically addressed in the offseason, said, you know, he acts too much of a lot of these kids, and, and he's really – it seems like, you know, him and Chuck Bullitt have, have purposefully tried to make things simpler for them. And, I mean, all these guys, because of injuries last year, uh, really got to see the field. Um, obviously, we're not necessarily sold on Richie Despier um, or Brandon Reddish, but at the same time, uh, I think we have some legitimate um, stars on our hands in Wiggum and Eskridge, and, and that's not even an overstatement, especially on Eskridge, but I think Wiggum is a star in the making, too. Um, they're both ball hawks. They're both really tough hitters. I think these are going to be I think even if we had questions at strong safety and get a cornerback position, I, I think Wiggum and Eskridge will be able to carry this group uh, and, and really help elevate this, this defense. Because at the end of the day, you know, you, you can blitz all you want and you can, you can go for broke um, trying to get behind the line of scrimmage. But if you don't have anyone out there defending, it doesn't really matter. So I think, um, I think Wiggum and Eskridge are really going to, and their progress, are really going to tell us a lot and we're going to see it early. Uh, they're going to tell us a lot about, about just how good this defense can be and just how, how good this team can be. I think with the D-backs, um, for a couple of years now, the the players individually have been more exciting, and then the sum of the parts hasn't really worked out to the – they haven't lived up to their potential. Um, with Reddish and then also Wayne Morgan, they were both really highly coveted players. Wayne Morgan had a, a Michigan offer or alleged Michigan offer. Both had Penn State offers. So those were two of like the really big New York City guys that we got, and they've both played like reasonably well, but they haven't really been the the star corners that we've wanted them to be. Wiggum, I think, is great. I think Wiggum's our best corner. I think he was our best corner last year until he got hurt. Um, like you said, Estridge is a bona fide. Like he's actually getting attention nationally. Um, he's just you know prototypical size. Seal he'll play on Sundays, and then apparently people are, are excited about. Darius Kelly, who I think has, has really stepped up, he's a, a big hitting safety, um, not to, too unlike Shamarco, although probably doesn't lay the lumber quite like Shamarco did, or nor as as fast. But it seems like he's had a, done a really good job. And then I'm excited for some of these freshmen, um, Joan Dowles and Antoine Cordy, uh, both really strong athletes. Um, I don't know how much they'll play, especially Dowles. You know, he's only 165; he needs to, to bulk up a bit, but. Those are the two guys who remind us more of, of Wiggum. They're from the same area. They're not quite as big, but, I mean, the guys down there cover. They, they, they play against D1 wide receivers all the time. Um, so I think there there's some good things here. I, I don't think the secondaries put it all together. Um, the last couple of years, uh, 
the 2010 team was pretty good, but that was probably the only one where we were really solid in the back end. Um, but there are good individual players, and I, I do hope that this is the year where they really mesh as a, as a full unit. Is that if there's a week, if there's a uh, group of this entire team I'm worried about, it's still them. Although I do think there's a lot of potential. Yeah, I think that's the big part here is that potential. Um, and I think every you know every group on this team has has solid options, and, and then I think this group is the only one that, that and happens to be I think one of the more important ones. But this group is the only one that really is being graded completely on potential. I mean, like we said. You get two big names, and then you have a bunch of other guys who may or may not uh, do well. Uh, at the corner position opposite of Wiggum, I think you do have a lot of guys who who may lack for size. Um, I think a lot of these kids are on the smaller side, but they're also incredibly quick. They have big hands. They're, they're, they're just very good cover guys. I think you hit it on the head with, you know, they're covering D1 wide receivers down in Miami. I think that's dead on. Um I think they're a year out, but but that's kind of the recruiting strategy that we've had here. I mean, you look at this year's recruiting class for 2014, you look at next year's recruiting class for 2015, and there's a big stress on defensive backs because I think um, while we haven't been able to get a four- or five-star guy in, in those slots, I think what what we're doing recruiting-wise with McDonald, obviously, is the, the recruiting mastermind he is. What we're doing is we're, we're getting – we're catching a large net um, on three-star talent um, and, and these really, you know, great guys. And, and we're seeing who fits. And we're, we're letting the competition um, between them really kind of decide, you know, who gets those starting roles. And, and at the end of the day, all these guys might end up seeing a ton of playing time to really push them, themselves and each other um, to be better um, as a team. And, and I think that it's a strategy that can pay off. I hope it does. Uh, of course, it would be nice to have, have some lockdown guys, but We'll see. I mean, you never know. These kids are 18 years old. Like they have four or five years ahead of them at, at Syracuse. So I, I'm i still concerned about the secondary, but I think it'll be improved. And if things are improved from last year, that's at least a step in the right direction because you couldn't possibly get any worse. Yeah. It, and I think, honestly, if we get the best out of – Reddish and Wiggum and Morgan and Estridge this year, I think this could be a pretty good unit. Um, but, you know, that's, that's saying a lot. But I, I, I'm i a little less down on them than you are. Uh, but obviously I see the concerns. And, and it, it's really kind of the uh, – on paper, like these are some of the better commits we've had in, the, in recent years. And Estridge is the only one who I think has really just about lived up to his potential. So hopefully Reddish and – Reddish and Morgan, especially, who only have a couple of years left, uh, pan out. Great. So I guess we'll quickly touch on special teams. Um, Riley Dixon's going to be fine, obviously. Uh, more than so good. More than fine. <laughs> uh, we've had, we've had a, an odd amount of attrition uh, in special teams this year, uh, this offseason. I know, unfortunately, uh, Ross Crowden's career is over. Um, Evan Jakubowski uh, went to Miami of Ohio already before we really got well, he, going. I thought he was—I thought he was gone from the team, but I hadn't seen that he actually found a new home. So good for him. Yep. He. Uh, I mean, good for him. I know uh, originally he was assigned between us 
Indiana, Missouri, and uh, Miami of Ohio. So it seems he went. He ended up leaving the head to uh, Miami of Ohio. Still be a walk-on. Um, I know he had aspirations to be in the communications school, Newhouse. I don't know if maybe that admission didn't work out, and that could be part of the problem. I know that Schaefer also said that he just he wasn't in football shape. Um, athletically, which is not something you usually hear about anyone, never mind a punter, but apparently that was the case. Uh, nevertheless, I wish him the best. I hope he, uh, hope his landing spot in Miami of Ohio is, uh, is the right fit. And I know Sam Rogers, who, uh, who as Sean alluded to the other day, could be a bigger leader than we think. I know he was named a captain, um, senior long snapper, um, so I think overall, I think we're, I'm cautiously saying we're looking better and more solidified around here, but again, that that's without even mentioning the fact that Ryan Norton is a terror on wheels um, at, at kicker, and really anything can happen um, with, with him on the field. Ryan Norton kicker is kind of like Ryan Norton person, from what we have know of him, um, <laughs> where could go like four for four one day or just never hit a field goal or he could, you know, be a, a fine person or could run away from cops at Acropolis after cursing at them. Um, all the reports from this, this summer have been pretty good. It seems like he's pretty much been like an 80-90% kicker this, this whole camp, and maybe that's part of the reason why. I mean, I know uh, Jebatowski had other circumstances as well, um, but it seems like he's really running away with things. Uh, the Troutman the news is really unfortunate. Like, he was such a good kicker as a freshman, um, and he was still pretty good as a sophomore, and just the injuries totally derailed him. Um, but he was a legitimate, like, all-American uh, candidate as a freshman for a kicker. He was, what, 19 for 20? So it's really tough to lose him, although he hadn't been the, the rough Troutman that we knew earlier the last couple of years because of those injuries. Um, but hopefully Norton settles down, stays out of trouble, and can put together a really uh, quality season because we're going to need him um, or we're just going to store a lot of touchdowns because I will still always get nervous when he goes out there. Yeah, I, I'm i very nervous about him. And, and I, so, I guess, yeah, anything I said about special teams that was, was good, just forget it because we are uh, – that, that was just completely um, – Ignoring the fact that, you know, it's we'll been a terrifying, 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 terrifying group since Greg Robinson took <laughs> over. So we're we're at, we're at a decade of this now of just terrifying special teams play. I'm just curious. Our coverage teams weren't such a disaster last year. They were in 2012. Last year, I thought they were a, they weren't great, but they were a solid step up. I don't think we gave up any touchdowns. Um, 2012, I felt like we gave up a touchdown any time we kicked the ball off. It was terrifying. So last year I thought we did a better job, um, and now I sound like I sound like Marone now, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm it's tremendous. Yeah, we did. We, I wouldn't say we did a tremendous job. We did we did a good job most of the time covering covering kickoffs and punts, uh, and it didn't hurt that Riley Dixon was amazing. So I'm cautiously optimistic that special teams will not be a total disaster when we're kicking, and then that we actually use our best. Still position players to return the ball when we're returning, because um, we saw what happens when you do that against Minnesota the first time we tried. Uh, 
So I don't know. There's, there's things to like here. We also have more depth now, more more athletic freshmen if we want to use them. So we'll see. You never really know what special teams going to look like until you, you throw it out there. Unless they're wearing orange, and in that case, you kind of know. You just don't want to say. <laughs> I also hope that special teams turns into fourth and two or less. We're just going to throw a mean more out there and run. Like I don't want to. If we're punting at like the fifty when it's fourth and short, like come on, <laughs> just just let's go for the let's go for it. We have a lot of weapons. Let's use use every piece of our arsenal to its advantage. And if Adonis Mean Moore can't get like two yards, uh, we probably didn't serve it. No. All right. Will Hunt, so the forgotten man of this podcast, our starting quarterback, Terrell Hunt. Remember you one day. Hashtag remember Terrell Hunt. So I guess um, to close out, I think, you know, if you're going to preview something, we're not going to go game by game. But rather, what do you see no, the team doing? Not all week. Plenty of game by game this week, so. Yeah. What do you see this team doing wins and losses wise? And uh, <clears throat> what bowl game? Um, I mean, the, the the thing today that we put out was, you know, we kind of assigned it. Um, I mean, I claim 7-5. and five. That's not necessarily how I think things will play out exactly. But I think 7-5 and five is a pretty decent barometer. I think worst case, hopefully, is 6-6. Six and six. Obviously, it could get worse than that. But if we stay healthy generally and, and this team is as, as decent as we think it'll be, I think anywhere from six to eight regular season wins is probably where we're going to find ourselves. Um, I think a couple guys in the comments really laid it out well. You can really group these games uh, pretty accurately. You have um, Central Michigan, Villanova, and Wake, which are really the the gimme games. Uh, I don't see any way we lose any of those three, um, even with two of them on the road, which is probably for the best that they're on the road because it frees up home games elsewhere. Uh, then there's, like, the NC State, BC. Um, I'd probably keep those in their own category because I think Pitt and uh, a couple of the other games are a solid step up. But you have, like, those middling games, NC State, BC. And then a step up, you have Maryland, Duke, Pitt, uh, and then Louisville somewhere in there. Like, there's we have a lot of games in the middle. But as long as we kind of take care of business and it's the three that we absolutely should beat, and then – probably take care of both NC State and BC. I mean, that's five wins, and I don't see why we wouldn't be able to find two or three more from the rest of the schedule. Um, Florida State, obviously, I didn't even write about them today because I refused. Um, Clemson, still don't think we'll win, even with their injury news today. Louisville, I think people are – Louisville and Notre Dame are very similar. Um, People are counting us out right away. Notre Dame, I can kind of see why, although they're weaker than they were five days ago. Louisville, I think they're good, but the 2012 Louisville team was much better, and they got strafed at the Dome. So I know that that's, you know, coaches a go for both teams, so it's hard to really make that comparison, but it just shows that football, you know, anything can happen. And I don't know, I think our team is probably closer to being as good as our 2012 team is than Louisville's will probably end up being. Um, or they, you know, they can end up blowing up because they have really good receivers and really impressive still position players. Uh, Maryland, I think, is similar. Like, for whatever reason, the public has decided we're an underdog, even though we beat them handily last year. I understand there were 
major injury issues for Maryland, but we beat them without much issue. Like, I don't know if if uh, the receivers would have been enough to tip the scales there. Um, they'll definitely be a tougher game this year, but it's also at the Dome. And then, you know, BC and Pitt are the two swing games at the end, and Duke. Uh, there are three tough games to end the year on, but um, I think all three are beatable. BC should be a win. Pitt, I'm not sold on it, but it, absolutely, it definitely could be a win. And Duke, you know, we'll, we'll see if they have regression this year. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it, but that's also a winnable game at the Dome. They weren't world beaters last year, so it's it's a it's a tough schedule, but I think that the toughness is in that there's so much so many games that should swing either way rather than it just being a brutal lineup of losses, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, like you said, that breakdown of the schedule. It's funny. I feel I feel like nobody that that's like paid a lot of money to do this has actually broken down our schedule that way. Um, you know, you have three which should be um, assured wins, another two fairly probable wins, one of which one of those games is at home. I mean, yeah, it, it gets you to 5-0. and um, And then all you're looking at is, is grabbing, you know, just to get ball eligibility, you know, one of the of the other seven. I mean, that doesn't seem that hard. When you look at last year, um, I mean, last year we won the games we're supposed to win. We lost the games we're supposed to lose, uh, by and large. Uh, so to me, I mean, this team... This team could be in for, you know, an extreme dose of luck one way or the other uh, when it comes to the swing. I mean, obviously the Florida State game, the Clemson game, and probably the Notre Dame game are, are out of the question. So now you're looking at picking up one win out of four. I mean, if luck swings the right way here, we could be going three and one. If luck swings the absolute wrong way, oh and four. But, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say this is an eight-win team. We'd have to be a little lucky, I think, like you said, but saying we could win eight games is not a ridiculous thing. Like, if we go out and beat the three teams to start off, we split Notre Dame and Louisville at four, beat Wake at five, beat State at six, beat two of Duke, Pitt, and BC, that's eight. Like, that's not crazy. Yeah. Like, the schedule is, I mean, it's a tough schedule, it's, it's not. It's it has it's bottom heavy in that it has three teams that that look like sure wins, but then the rest of it. I mean, there's enough swing games, and again, like it's it really just depends on luck. If this is our year, if this is the year that we're supposed to break through a bit, then you know the pendulum swings to three and one in those games. If this isn't the year, the pendulum likely swings to one and three. We finish six and six again. Yeah, and even if we don't win seven or eight games, uh, as long as we get into a bowl, I'll be fairly, I'll be content if we win six. I'll be pretty happy if we win seven or eight. Um, I think next year is really where this is all leading up to. I think that's the year where we can really make a statement and say, you know, we're here to challenge for the top of the league at least once in a while. Um, Jameis Winston will be gone. Clemson will be breaking into Sean Watson in all likelihood. Uh, we still don't know what Louisville's going to look like. We'll find that out this year. NC State will be better, but I, they probably won't be better than us. They'll be around the same. Uh, Wake will still be back a bit. BC will still be a question mark. So it's it's next year, I think, is what this is all leading up to, and hopefully this is a good stepping stone year to get to where we can finally win like a nine-game you know, nine-and-three year heading to a bowl when we have a senior Terrell Hunt, a junior George Morris, 
uh, junior Devontae McFarlane, a bunch of receivers who are probably mostly sophomores and juniors. Like that, that's when it's really going to be exciting when we bring back like almost our entire offense from this year after what is hopefully a seven or eight win campaign. And of course, what better way to celebrate what might be your best season in over a decade than to face LSU? <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, what, no better time than the present, uh, I guess. Although, you know, they're, they're breaking in a new quarterback and Leonard Fournette. Uh, luckily, their offensive line will be, I think, pretty torn up from this year because that's like the one thing they still have this year. So, again, like like I said for Florida State, like I'm not betting on beating LSU. <laughs> so I'll I'll enjoy the game uh, and we'll look for the ACC slate to be more manageable. Um, so, yeah, I guess final thoughts, uh, bowl game. I know we broke down a couple options. Do you feel, do you feel like the Detroit military pinstripe triumvirate seems like the most likely uh, landing spot for us for a while, at least, in t- at least as long as we're in the 6-7 win range? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good theory. I actually did a pretty long post on this back in December, I think, uh, when we were still trying to figure out what our bowl would be, I believe. I think it was before we were selected for Texas. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, there are decent options. I think those are the three best. Like, you know, if we're a seven- or eight-win team, we have three decent places to go play. I wouldn't, you know, love going to Detroit in the winter, but it's a, not a bad trip for Syracuse fans. Um, I think military is great. There's a lot of fans down in D.C., and it's a quick two-day trip for, for guys from New York and upstate. I think pinstripe's a no-brainer. I hope we don't get it every year. I don't want to get burnt out on it, but I've enjoyed the pinstripe bowl, so I think that's, you know, an obvious one when and hopefully they just won't sit us in it every year. There's no reason to do that. But when we can do it, no big deal. And then Belk, when we get to that that tier I think is a really solid one for us. Charlotte's also a good the Carolinas are just have a lot of Syracuse people in them for whatever reason. And then if we have to chip down to the Bitcoin bowl or one of the other Florida bowls, I think that's fine too. I think the ACC lineup is pretty Syracuse-friendly in terms of what what our bowl situation is. Um, but I agree those three, which is where we'll probably be living most of the time unless we have a breakout season. Um, and that's fine. They're all pretty easy bowls for Syracuse fans to, to get to and decent opponents, hopefully. Well, I think this also puts the onus on the program. You know, improve, and you get to go to those different games, too. Like, that's yeah, the door to the Gator goal. That should be like when we if we're sitting at like seven wins uh, like this year, and we're playing we're going to Chestnut Hill. I think that should be Scott Schaefer's. He should tell Eric Kroom to like and Paris Bennett to like put on earmuffs and then beat everyone else. All right, guys, if we win this game, we will be a step closer to not going to Detroit in December. So <laughs> so let's let's win let's beat BC, and then we'll go to like New York and we can go sightseeing. Or we'll go to Maryland and eat crab cakes, or we'll maybe go to Charlotte, and uh, we won't have to go to Detroit. And then he'll say, "Eric, you can take your earmuffs off now." <laughs> yeah, I've I've got us likely in Detroit, or or perhaps uh, the military ball. Um, I don't think they'd send us back pinstripe for the third time in five years. It I love seems like an aggressive ball. The pinstripe's weird because I don't know what Big Ten teams gonna end up there. 
Like, I was trying to figure um, out for my turtle today. Like, it's just there's not a lot of options because I feel like they're all either going to be, like, too good or not, like, bowl eligible. I put, like, Indiana there. I don't know if Indiana's going to win six games, but I guess they could. They have I done offense. I hope they do. I, I think it's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I well, like said in the, in the comments. In the have and have nots in the Big Ten this year. Right. And, and somebody said we the play Maryland, were... it would be a seven-win team. We're not going to play Maryland again. So yeah. it's one of those. Yeah, like somebody mentioned the possibility in the comments that uh, that like Syracuse and Rutgers would play in, in a pinstripe ball, and I kind of shot that down. I said, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. Why would you put – like why would you put two teams that – Either one of those w- would gladly go to that game. Why would you put two teams and basically make the ball just this hyper local um, competition that nobody watches on television and nobody goes to, but people in the immediate area, so they don't even need to really uh, stay in the city? Um, to me, I, I think it would it would really hurt the ball game. I think it would hurt both conferences um, to put those two teams against one another um, at any point. Or two that have played like recently. Like, if, it was, right. if this was, like, ten years from now and Rutgers and Syracuse are both seven-win teams, I can see it. But, I don't know, I would personally be a little late. It was not like when we got dropped when we drew West Virginia. We were happy to be going. We had just played West Virginia. Like, they they had just broken up with the conference. So, like, not not even, like, a slight against Rutgers. I'd just be a little bored by it. But, you know, I'm still in that happy-to-be-going mode, so I guess I'd deal. No, I mean, if anything, like, there isn't a team in the Big Ten that wouldn't have the fan base to get there. Um, uh, if I had to pick somebody pinstripe this year, um, maybe Northwestern? Maybe. It's I still think it's going to be tough. I think they'll they'll be on the bubble. But, um, I think Maryland could be there. That's the problem. Is we're we're not going to play. They're not going to put us with Maryland again. Right. No. I mean, I don't think we're headed to the pinstripe just because of how many times we played there already. I, I think, I think it, Schroeder, if we weren't playing. I think Maryland would be the the most pinstripey Big Ten team this year because I think they'll be like a six or seven win team. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I would go if I'm picking the pinstripes. I I think Maryland Pitt sounds sounds like something. Yeah, it's not a bad um, game. Yeah, I, I think. You know, if it wasn't for the strength of North Carolina and Duke, and you never know, like, if there was a year that we could end up in the Belk, if we go 8-4, and four, uh, this could be it. Because you never know, like, Duke could end up getting itself sent to the Gator Bowl. North Carolina could end up, I mean, Music City is an option for us. I wouldn't, I think Music City would be fun. I don't think we'd have the natural fan base, like, there. But I think in terms of destinations, it's not a bad one. I think it'd be a fun place to go, especially in the winter. Yeah. Although, you know what? I think a lot of people outside of our fan base don't really think we have anybody in the Carolinas. And we actually have a pretty large contingent there. We have a pretty large That's contingent in Central Florida. We're all over. We're pretty worldwide as a, as a fan base. People people be impressed. Like, though, That's the one thing is Syracuse, like, we, we don't sell out our own arena that, or, or stadium that well. But we do travel fairly well in football. Like whenever we play at USF, yeah, we're a small school. But like we 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 tend to travel way better than we should for football, which is interesting. I think it's a lot of basketball fans that just like decide to break up the orange a little early. But still, like we 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 travel better than we actually like come out at home. I think 
in terms of like expectations at least. Right. So I guess it's a good place to end it. A little a lively bowl conversation. Um is any parting thoughts? I know we have uh we have about nine well when this podcast airs we'll have eight days until the game. Plenty more uh more preview info, but if there's anything else you wanted to add before we uh, we had a ton of stuff in the written word throughout the next week? Uh, not really. I think we covered pretty much everything except for our quarterback today, so I'm sure we'll talk about him <laughs> down the road, but uh, we did a pretty good job going across the team, and it was it was fun to talk about our own guys. Yeah, so for everyone that hasn't been listening to the podcast about our ACC opponents, um, this, this is your podcast. Um, we spend almost 90 minutes talking about Syracuse football for once, and actually doing very little in the tangent department, which goes to show exactly what the tangents are caused by. Yeah, all of our tangents were were also about other parts of the Syracuse football team that we had already touched on and forgot something, or we were just jumping ahead. So, not not a bad not a bad podcast in that that segment, I guess. Although I kind of think the tangents are fun, but that's just me. <laughs> well done. All right, so that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, thanks for listening this week. Please be sure to subscribe on Blog Talk and iTunes and uh, rate us. Give us a five, please. We, uh, it does matter. We do appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.